Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello and welcome to All Stats Aren't We, a podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings on at Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm John McKenzie, the people's John Kevin Augustan, unfit, unwanted and ultimately disappointing. And I'm joined by Darren Driver, the David Batty of the podcast. In his own words, I hasten to add, taciturn, tight and very unlikely to turn up at a party he's been invited to. And then finally, but by no means leastly, all stats aren't we's own Leaf Davis, young and sprightly, in the words of Marcelo Bielsa, very good. It's Joe Hill. How are you doing, chaps? Yeah, good. Good this week. Glad to see uh, there's some confirmed action on Sky Sports and feels feels a bit more real now that those dates are in. Yeah, same. I'm uh, really looking forward to the season getting going again and, and I'm starting to experience the fear, which is... Uh which is healthy I think you know given given some of our previous seasons <laughs> yeah it's funny isn't it having just that start date given because now everything sort of feels a little bit more real it feels like there's a point to doing these podcasts so um hopefully yeah hopefully the the season will um conclude and we'll have plenty of things to talk about um in terms of today's podcast we've got lots and lots to talk about um i'll just go through the quick structure of what we're going to do so you have a sense of where we're going we're going to start off by talking about john kevin augustan um just given the the current situation and the news that he has just strained his hamstring again uh raising questions about the the trajectory of his career at Leeds United. Uh, We're then going to start digging into the fixture list a little bit um, and look at the way that we think that the season is going to look like for Leeds uh, in this sort of weird mini season at the end of this season. And uh, then we've got a couple of uh, topics beyond that. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, Leeds fans always wanting to rebuy old players. Is there any logic in that? Has it ever worked out well? Um, and then finally, in terms of topics, we're going to look over quickly Jamie Kemp's piece that came out on his Leeds United blog, LUFC blog, um, about how Leeds stack up against historic teams in the championship. And then finally, we will uh, go over listener questions. So, JKA, Jean-Claude Van Augustin, uh announced today that he, well, not officially announced, but Phil Hay announced that um, he has strained his hamstring, setting him back in his um, uh, trajectory into breaking into the first team. I'd heard uh, from one of my sources at the club that he had been not disciplined so much as uh, had a talking to. Um, there was worries about whether or not he, well, he was constantly failing um, his weight targets and also his performance targets. Um, and uh, I, the impression I got was that he'd been told to sort of buck himself up. Um, so that my question to you guys is, is the JKA transfer starting to unravel for Leeds? Darren, what do you think? Very, very possibly. I mean, if, if you think about him having a hamstring strain, those are usually not that quick to come back from. That probably puts him out realistically from getting into the first team for the rest of this season. Um, if he's not had the opportunity or hasn't been able to prove himself due to fitness or attitude issues or whatever it might be this year, I, I really can't see how the club can 
realistically want to take that forward and also if it, if if he's kind of if if kind of attitude and getting himself into 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 a situation where he's fully fit is a problem for him he might be the one that actually decides to opt out of the you know the contract next year i i it might be that he just wants an easier time and that's fine there's nothing wrong with that it's just not Bielsa's way is it your prediction last week i think it was that um, Tyler Roberts was ahead of him in the pecking order, maybe looking a little bit more prescient now. Um, would you be worried about losing JK or would you be happy just to have Tyler Roberts as a backup? I'd be personally totally happy with Roberts as a backup. I, I'm, I'm a big fan of him as a player and I, I think that this will give him, you know, probably a good opportunity to cement his place as, as a as a centre forward at the club. Joe, what's your take on this whole thing? Yeah, um, it's it's really disappointing actually. I was I was looking forward to seeing some of him I was thinking that, like Darren says, Roberts Roberts probably is the number two to Bamford. But given that uh, for these next fixtures you can make five subs per game and nine on the bench, I think it is. I was really looking forward to seeing him on the bench and seeing him come come off it, as, hopefully as one of those five. And it's it's disappointing. And I think that if he doesn't play in these next nine games before the end of the season, then I do really struggle to see how we will gamble and break our transfer records. I think I think it is anyway, it's north of fifteen million. I struggle to see how how we'll do that to to buy him. We had a couple of questions about striker options, um, which we were going to put in our listener questions, but I think it's probably good to talk through now. Mickey Peeker, friend of the podcast, asks, can Big Kev and Bamford play together in a Bielsa system? And the answer to that, probably, <laughs> as things stand, no. Um, but I think it's a it's a good question to ask anyway, because it's questions about uh, Marcelo Bielsa and two strikers at once has, has been a sort of perennial question for him throughout his career. Um, everyone will know the story about um, Hernan Crespo and Gabriel Batistuta during his time at Argentina. Um, and there were other uh, examples of, of where he had two strikers to choose from and he's only really ever wanted to play um, a single striker. Although interestingly, this season he did play 3-5-2 th- um, a couple of times, I think particularly in maybe cup competitions when we had Eddie Nketiah and Patrick Bamford trying to work those out. And I think the general consensus was that that didn't work. Um, I'm not against the idea of... Well, I'll, I'll qualify this. I don't think a Bielsa system probably will ever work with two strikers in its best um, iteration. But I do, th- I do think that you could feasibly use... Um, both um, uh, Augustan and Bamford in a in some kind of four two 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 system like um, RB Leipzig use um, Kevin Augustan, John Kevin Augustan. Obviously, that worked for him when he was there. He played quite well in that system. Um, whether or not you want to play, I, I, I don't even think that's true. I think Bamford could play well as a hold up player in the mould of um, uh, Yusuf Pauls Polson, who is a, a striker there, um, and then you could have um, Augustan as the as a, as the sort of quicker player, get looking to get in behind. I think that would work perfectly fine. I don't think we'll ever see that under Marcelo Bielsa. Um, guys, what are your thoughts on this, Joe? Initial thinking, no. Initial thinking, yeah. I don't think it's I don't think it's going to happen. Um, like you say, we've seen the three five two a couple of times, and it didn't really look effective. I think it, it was against Charlton for about half an hour after half time. Um and it just it didn't work, you know, we we went on to lose that game and I don't think it's I don't think it's Bielsa's way. I think in theory they could they could play together if they trained that way and looked at different tactics, but I just can't see it happening. Yeah, I think with the four two two sort of formation you're looking at sort of high counter pressing which I guess we do but you're looking at just hitting the ball long trying to win the second ball quickly and and then break from there um there's no real possession stuff there at all um beyond winning it back at your in your back four and then playing out to your either your wide players or uh someone like Calvin to just boom it long and then and then go from there so I'm not entirely sure that Bielsa would um turn things over um in terms of his lifelong career um, approach to football just just in the hope of getting both players into the team um darren let's come to you have you got any uh, anything to add on this how do you feel about those two together in a system i think you're more likely to see roberts and bamford on the pitch together than you would be to see um 
Bamford and, and Augustine, but that doesn't mean we'd be playing with two strikers. It means we'd be playing with Bamford up front and, and Tyler Roberts more withdrawn, playing as an eight or a ten. And I think sometimes you hear this kind of talk in, in, in the fan base about, about two strikers. We want two strikers up front, and I think that it's quite reductive to imagine that, that two strikers up front automatically means more goals because our experience of it when we've had two strikers on the pitch under Bielsa is that we make fewer chances and he's not going to sacrifice a number of chances just for um, a higher level, a higher percentage of them possibly being converted. Yeah, and I think Bielsa's been outspoken in saying this as well. He 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 does say, you know, you can't just front load your team and then expect more goals to come from it. This is about the system and the system has to be functional. It has to you have to have that transition play to get the ball into the final third and um if that's not working then you might as well not have a striker on on the pitch. Uh, I think as far as he's concerned. Um in this vein of thinking, we had a question from Matt. I like this question actually. Nine games left. This is Bamford now moving moving on to to sort of talk about strikers more generally, but nine games left to play. If he stays injury free, what do you reckon Bamford scoring six plus goals before the season of, is over? Empty stadiums equal less of a fan charge frustration when he's missing chances. Could calmly find himself becoming more clinical. Is this wishful thinking? So thanks for that question, Matt. Darren, I'll throw this to you first. What's your initial take on this? Uh, it's definitely a thought that I've had myself. You know, kind of wondering whether whether playing in front of an empty, empty Elland Road would would make him feel less under pressure and therefore less likely to cup his ear at an imaginary crowd if if and when he, he does kind of get a couple of goals. But uh, I suppose that that's kind of very, very strongly nailing your colours to the Bamford misses chances because of the pressure of the crowd massed. And I'm not necessarily sure that's true. I, I think that um, I think that there may be other, other things. It might just be uh, the, a pressure that he puts on himself rather than the pressure from the, an external pressure. So I, mean, I wouldn't rule it out. I think that... that even with the crowd, he's just he would be just as likely to go on a run where he scores six plus goals as he as he would without because he gets plenty and plenty of chances as we've all seen. So, yeah, don't know about that one. We'll see. You're a season ticket holder, right? No, I I, I get down to the home games the the majority of the time, but mm. sometimes I have to work and all that boring start stuff. <laughs> yeah, so you you'll be aware of the fact that, and this is something that I think doesn't get talked about really enough, but he gets a huge amount of support. Um, whenever I've gone along, um, even when he's missed big chances, there is a huge amount of fan support there anyway. So I don't know whether or not that would affect this question at all. I agree, and I I think that, for example, when he scored against Blackburn from the penalty spot after after a long drought where people had, some people on the internet had been getting on his back. Um I've never seen a penalty scored celebrated quite as feistily as that <laughs> one was. It was it was quite the moment. So yeah, the, I think the fans in the stadium really really understand and value what he does. Um so I don't I don't think he gets that much stick from the crowd to be honest. Joe, what what's your take on this in terms of the empty stadiums thing, um Ireland Road? Because there is it was the case that I think we we really struggled at home at the beginning of this season. Um, I don't have the stats to, on my fingertips, but um, we certainly dropped more points at home than we did in away fixtures in the first 10 games of the season. So what's your take on the the empty stadium phenomenon? It's really interesting. Um, Calvin Phillips, I think it was, came out uh, and said this week that it's going to feel a bit like a training match. Um, he was speaking about the empty stadium stuff and I can I can see where he's coming from. It's going to have a a weird atmosphere for the players, um, but actually I think that that might benefit them. I think that Bamford, whether it's whether it is an internal pressure or whether it's from the crowd, despite the support of him, I think he he does feel the pressure during the games, and I like to think that during training he's just sort of banging them in no problem, and. I th- I th- I can see him scoring six plus goals if he if he plays every single game because I think he's the type of player that will just relax in this new environment and hopefully just gain his confidence back and treat it like a training session where he can just bang in goals for fun. I should mention that Phil I think Phil Hay talked about um Bamford this week on the Phil Hay show uh, and came out with the the line that I think a lot of people would agree with um at least instinctively, that that Bamford just isn't a finisher. Um, now we've been outspoken on this channel talking about how finishing is actually a much harder concept to think about than than it might seem. Yeah, we've seen Patrick Bamford this season um, accrue twenty one point seven xG, I think, um, according to Opta. He's only scored eleven goals. Um, that's in the championship. So he's 
he's a, a full 10.7 goals off his expected goals total, which is for people who don't know XG that well, it's it's historically bad. Um, there's been very very few players that I've ever seen who've who've underperformed. That he, I mean, he's underperforming his XG by by 50%. Um, so it's almost like he needs two he needs two goals worth of chances to score a goal, which is which is wild. Um, uh, but I, what, what I would say about that is actually, if you look back in his um, career, there's not been a huge amount of um, seasons where he's underperformed his XGs. He's actually overperformed his XG in a number of occasions, not by a huge amount, but um, by enough that, that that would be fine. And, you know, look, if Patrick Bamford was performing his XG averagely, he would have got 21 goals and we would not be complaining about him every week. So I would say that. Now, there are a couple of articles, one that I always like to bring out, which is by a friend of mine, Bobby Gardner. It's in, it's on the ringer. We'll, we'll share this in the... Um, on the Twitter thread, so you should be able to find that quite easily. But what what Bobby uh, argues is that actually, um, it's a player's ability to finish is actually a much lower variable in in the in the um, equations where you're looking at the likelihood of someone to score. Um, you're you're much more likely to um, much more important factors. I think would be things like position. Um, et cetera, et cetera, and, and, and certain things about the team that you're in as well. So when it actually comes down to it, a player's quote-unquote finishing ability, whatever we want to talk about, shouldn't actually come into it that much. Um, there's other, there's also been other studies. There's been a study by a guy called Devin Plula who works out in the US, um, and what he found was is that there's no real correlation between uh, players having a good performance in terms of XG, so players overperforming their their, their metrics and then underperforming them in the next season so there's no correlation really between a, a player having a good season and a bad season in terms of their xg performance so i think with all that in mind what i would say about um uh, patrick bamford is that perhaps this break could be good for him it might be good it does feel as though actually it's become a psychological thing um just um just underperforming his xg and maybe the chance to have a break feel as though this is a new season feel as though this is a new start might actually be um good for that so um with that in mind my answer to the question i suppose would be yeah we could see him scoring six goals um but it will depend very much on whether or not he has has sort of put that out of his head um and again that this could could come down to performances in the first few games if we if we win our first game and then fulham lose their first two then Leeds pretty much nailed on um, and that might take the pressure off as well Darren you've got something to say I was kind of wondering whether whether the number of chances that that a striker in this team gets psychologically means they take less care of because they know another one will be, li- be along in a moment um, and obviously I, haven't, I, I don't know the answer to that but it's definitely something that's occurred to me that if if you kind of know as a striker that you, you you're only likely to get one decent chance in a match then your concentration levels by logically would mean would be that much higher whereas we know that Bamford's going to see two or three likely decent opportunities per match I, I I'm just speculating really off the top of my head I think he's had 120 shots this season yeah um, of which he scored those 11 goals so um, you know that's a really poor conversion rate <laughs> yeah I would say we we also know about Bamford's uh, post-shot xg so post-shot xg is simply the likelihood that chances would go in after he's hit them. So you look at where they're heading in the goal and the more likely they are to go in is dependent on whether or not they're in the bottom corner or top corner or whatever, or down the middle. And and actually Bamford has really poor post-shot XG. Um, I remember last season, I think he reduced the the quality of his chances by something like 25%. So um, if you take a a shot's likelihood or a chance's likelihood of going in, after Bamford hit it, it had gone down by a quarter in in almost every instance. So... um, um, I think there is there's certainly an issue with um, with finishing. I'm not saying that Bamford is is a good finisher, um, but I do also think that a lot of this comes down to probably um, uh, technique and and certain things that he's doing at the moment, which I think you can always coach out of a player or at least you can do your best to and, and go through and, and say let's just do some slow-mo replay work let's look at the way you're striking the ball let's think of if your positioning is off here let's let's look if you're maybe snatching at chances because there's pressure on you so there's there's all kinds of things that have to come into this um in order to in order to really analyze what's going on I think the other thing that that, that needs taken into consideration is his is his right foot his right foot is very particularly weak. So, if he gets if he gets one on his left, he's you know I think there's a reasonable chance he'll at least 
get it on target or make make the keeper work or something. But if it comes to his right, I kind of put my hands over my eyes and I just hope for the best, really. <laughs> he's not a player who really puts his foot through a ball, is he? He's He's got a very sort of, and I say this advisedly, um, Henri approach to, to mm. sort of stroking the ball. And um, sometimes I just do wish that he would just clonk it. But I mean, that, again, that's the sort of player that he is. I think he wants to... I remember, was it the goal? I can't remember the go- who, who it was against, but he's... I don't, the Bolton one was just a was just a tap in, wasn't it? But the, there was one was it Hull maybe where he scored it from outside the area and curled it into the top left corner. Which, which oh, last game was season that? was that away? At, it was away at either Reading or Preston, wasn't it? I think maybe it was it's Preston, Preston. Yeah, yeah, I think it's Preston. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and you know that's a sort of very Henri type type goal. We what we don't see is him sort of just like putting his laces through a ball and just hoping for the best. He does seem to try and. Uh, and try and place it so and yeah a lot of the time as well he's getting those chances like you say in the in the six yard box if you look at his xg map he he misses a lot of good chances um and i think a lot of that's probably to do with positioning and just sort of not having his body in the right shape to hit the ball the way that he would like it but yeah i think there's there's other things to say joe what are you thinking Uh, i was just going to say i think he's completely the definition of a confidence player he's just he can be so streaky and go on a run of banging in goals every single week and then he can go the next month or two without scoring any. It's just, he's pure confidence player. And this is the first time at Leeds that he's, sorry, what I should say is that at Leeds is the first time he's been consistently played as a number nine. So so that, that changes his XG significantly too, doesn't it? Which means that, um, yeah, he's, un- he's under much more pressure to be the kind of goal-scoring conduit for the team, really, and he's never really experienced that in a consistent way before. I think as well the the system uses him as a fulcrum as well, right? We we talk about yeah. overloading to isolate on the left, but when you're getting a player like Jack, you're trying to get Jack Harrison and, and Helda Costa down to, down to the bylines and crutting it back in. Like Everything is, he is that fulcrum player. You want him to get those those chances on target, um, and, and I guess that ramps up the pressure as well and like like Joe says when you're a confidence player and then all of these things are sort of added on top of that then you just end up with this this sort of mind fuck where he's he just can't seem to get out of uh, of that situation but we'll we'll see how it goes um going into the season and speaking of the new season um we should have a chat about the fixture list um we have nine games left and um, at the end of those nine games, Leeds will either be promoted automatically or will be in the playoffs, you would think. So, Joe, what's your um, immediate take on, on the, the fixture list? The fixture list, as far as I can tell, is basically the same as it was meant to be with obviously different timings. Everything's squeezed together a bit more. But in terms of the ordering, I don't think they've changed anything. They've just kept the, the ordering the same. So what, what are you thinking, Joe? I'm looking really closely at the first two games. Um, you mentioned it earlier, but the, our first one against Cardiff away, it's a tough place to go, um, especially given what happened in the reverse fixture, that three-all draw um, when, when we were 3-0 up. Um, and obviously the first, the first game of, uh, of the new mini-season is Fulham versus Brentford. Um, so that result alone could... Could change things a lot, um, and then the following week, it's we've got Fulham at home, and I think West Brom have Brentford. I don't know who's at home there, but um, yeah, those those sort of four games between the top four are going to be so crucial. And if we can get six points from the first two games, then we're going to be in a really really great position. What are you thinking, Darren? When you when you look at the fixture list. A few things. So it'd be interesting to see whether the thing we've seen in in Bundesliga about home advantage more or less being wiped out comes through into 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 these games too. Um, I was as I've said in the last couple of weeks, I've been feeling really confident. But then I looked at the fixture list again, and I I am aware that the you know the average position of the teams we're playing is the lowest out of all the the top clubs. But that Cardiff, Fulham, Swansea, Derby, and Charlton have all taken points off us this season. Um, and we've got all of them left to play in a pressure-running sort of situation. So, um, like like you say, Joe, very, you know the kind of the first couple of weeks could more or less see it done and dusted um, if things go go our way. But 
Um, yeah, I'm sort of starting to get a bit of the old the old nerves, and suddenly Charlton look like world beaters, and <laughs> you know, and, and all that kind of stuff. So we'll just have to see. But they certainly didn't against Arsenal, though, did they? <laughs> no, they certainly didn't. They I don't know if you didn't. saw the highlights from that friendly, but it wasn't particularly great for Charlton. No. But, you know, I suppose the reverse of, you know, we definitely owe Cardiff one from the game at Elland Road. Um, and we definitely owe Swansea one from the game at Elland Road as well. So And we always owe Derby one. Always owe Derby We always one. owe Derby. <laughs> and we, yeah, particularly this year, actually, that was a really frustrating <laughs> afternoon um, in the stand-upper. But, uh, yeah, I'm... Yeah, I'm I'm still quietly confident, but I can feel feel the nerves starting to kick in a little bit, which is which is good. Yeah, it's it's funny, isn't it? Because you do look down that list and you think, well, you know, Fulham are the only ones who could cause any problems, and and I'm not even convinced that they would. But there's so many teams in there that that, like you say, either are bogey teams or are sort of teams that you actually think, well, you know, they could cause us problems. Um, even even a team like Barnes, I was looking at the um. The XG table yesterday, um, in preparation for just because I was, we talk, we're going to talk about Jamie Kemp's piece later, and he starts off by saying how um, a lot of uh, players, a lot of uh, pundits in the championship, were saying that um, Sabri Lamushi, the um, New, uh, Nottingham Forest manager, was the manager of the season for them. So I just, I just had a look at um, Ben Mayhew's. Um, expected goals table, expected points table, and um, Forest are obviously miles off. But I noticed that Barnsley actually should technically be ahead of Forest according to the the, uh, the underlying numbers. Barnsley are a decent team um, with Gerhard Schroeder in now, and um, I think that they've got some really decent players. Even a team like them, who you'd say, well, you know, they're like struggling with relegation, probably going to go down. They could cause us problems as well, but they gave us a really hard game at Oakwell as well. Mm. It was a really yeah. tough afternoon. It's one of those ones where I was just looking at these fixtures and I was like, "Oh, it would have been so good if we'd have, if we, if the, if the lockdown hadn't happened or the the cancellation of football hadn't happened for like another um, couple of weeks." Because then getting, if you would have got Cardiff out of the way, and I think we would have rolled Cardiff just with the the momentum that we had and then had a good result against Fulham and then you're coming back to like Luton, Blackburn, Stoke, Swansea, Barnsley, Derby, Charlton with with a decent points buffer you think yeah no problem here but um, with none of us actually knowing what's going to happen um, after the return it, it does make everything a little bit more um, a little bit more questionable. I think it also depends on uh, how much the teams have to play for as well I really start to look at that towards the end of a season and looking at those that chunk in the middle, Blackburn, Stoke and Swansea, if if their results don't go right in the first few weeks for them, they could be just coasting mid-table. And especially with what's what's gone on with um, these new fixtures and the, the massive gap, I think we're going to see a lot of players not wanting to get injured for next season and wanting to stay fit. Um, there's the chap at Charlton. Lyle Taylor. Lyle Taylor, that's right, and he's um, he's refused to play, and it just shows that players are thinking about next season. They're thinking about a possible transfer in the summer. So if if there's teams that are coasting mid table, I think that's going to be far easier than Barnsley and Luton, who might be scrapping for points at the bottom of the table. Yeah, I think that's interesting. And going back to the Bundesliga as well, there's been a few clubs where I've just sort of watched them play, and you just kind of think, one, you know, there's a global pandemic on. You know, <laughs> there is there is risk that people are going to get ill, um, and and for the sake of what for some clubs. I mean, if you are at Blackburn or Stoke or Swansea, and you're you're a player from a BAME background. And you're you're playing football in order to fulfil a TV contract. You're not going to get anything really out of it yourself. Like, how many players are going to just be coming back thinking, you know what? I'm not really, I'm not really that bothered about this. I'm not going to go in for. Ta- I'm going to need to get near opposition players. I don't need to put myself at risk. So I do think that that may well come down to it as well. Um, we had a question from Craig Mortimer. Thank you, Craig. Um, just asking about the just the sort of weird nature of these nine games in that they feel like we're sort of starting a mini season. Um, he says there's some scepticism re- regarding Leeds running for the last nine games, fans saying how things are never easy for Leeds. My question is, surely like, surely this is like a season opener. How have the previous season's opening games fared under Marcelo Bielsa and previous managers? Um, 
I think that yeah, I think this is a good question because at the beginning of this season, at least the first ten games were remarkable under Bielsa. We had, I think, what was probably the strongest team that we've had under Bielsa, um, mainly because of Adam Forshaw just adding something in the midfield that we've never really had um, all at once. Other than that, um, and I think there is a there is a sense in which we could come into this and benefit from the fact that we sort of treat it as though we are starting a new season and we could come out and be strong and we could come out and um, control games. Darren, what do you think to that? Do you think there's there's anything in that? Yeah, I mean, we, we've started both seasons both seasoned under Bielsa very well, um, got a lot of points, played some great stuff, dominated games. Um, we started the season under Thomas Christensen very well as well, and uh, some of these players are, are you know the same from that that time. I don't really know how worthwhile it is going any further back than that, really, because I th- <laughs> you know I mean your managers sacked in like thirty two days, and well, like ten this, games and stuff like that. Yeah, and also the the you know the playing staff has completely changed in in that time period as well. So you know although we started very poorly under Gary Monk and finished very poorly under Gary Monk. You know what? I don't really know how how relevant that is to this. Um, I, I kind of had a brief look at um, Bielsa's summer football history as well because I think that kind of is something which which might play into it. So you know, he's, he, a, a decent World Cup with Chile in two thousand and ten, uh, winning the Olympics with Argentina in two thousand and four, and these kind of short format sprint tournaments, which is effectively what this is, although it's not knockout. Um, so and you know, I think from that point of view. I, th- I think it stands in, in really good stead and hopefully we'll get away to a flyer against Cardiff and take it from there. I think mostly the reason why we tend to start well and we why we have done under Bielsa is it's just a fitness thing of the other teams. They're just, they're just not up to the match fitness that Bielsa's leads are and um, we've already seen that Phil, Phil Hay put out a great uh, article on The Athletic about murder ball um, and as soon as uh, as soon as the EFL said that contact training could be resumed, I think Bielsa put in two murder ball sessions, one Thursday, one Sunday. And I just think that the other teams aren't going to be up to the same level of fitness that we are, and that's really going to help us. Bielsa was sort of aiming for the original May resumption date that the the EFL had set um, and he's been keeping his players quite fit and I think they've they've all done quite well in their fitness tests with the exception of JKA Um, so yeah I think that will will suit us really well Um, I think we could talk about this more but I think we we will talk about this in in the coming weeks um, particularly next week as we're on the run-up to to this Um, we'll do a little bit more of a Cardiff preview uh, next 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 week on the podcast which should be fun so I want to move on to Darren's question, actually, which I think is a really good one about Leeds fans always wanting to rebu- wanting to rebuy old players. So what have you got on this, Darren? What was you What was your thinking? Yeah, well, the reason this sort of started for me is because I was thinking about you know Ben White and and the situation where in in all likelihood we're, we're you know very quite likely to lose Ben White in the summer, whether it's to Liverpool or whether it's going back to Brighton or whatever it might be. And the first thing I saw under that. Um, under a thread about that on Twitter was somebody was a number of people actually saying get Pontus back, and it just kind of made me think that this is a kind of habitual thing that I see with Leeds fans, and it's probably true of all clubs. Where as soon as we've got a vacancy, people are looking for people we've already had in the in the in the club to kind of um, to fill it, and. Uh, in my experience, it kind of rarely works, really, and and it's not something that there's been a huge amount of happening over, over the you know over the time I've been supporting Leeds, but. Um, but it sort of sent me to thinking about players who who've played for us that are currently playing at the Premier League level and how they may or may not fit in to the to the kind of current Bielsa setup. Um, yeah, I mean, my take is I wouldn't want to see Pontus Janssen come back just for the record. Um, <laughs> he, when 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 he when he played well, he was great, but he was incredibly inconsistent, and there was some personality stuff about him which really got on my tits um the kind of showboat into the crowd the kind of if it's not the Pontus show he's not happy and he's going to make it you know the, the Pontus show and all that kind of stuff so yeah I just wondered if there, if there were any players currently playing in the Premier League that you'd actually like to see come back to the club and, and why that might be there is a definitely a couple um for one James Milner um I just I love him he's homegrown talent and it's also, I think it's just also that I grew up with him uh, as a player. You know, he, he was 
he was one of my favourite players growing up and we were linked to him, I think it was about a year ago that uh, Milner was out of contract and they were there were rumours that he was going to come to Leeds and when those when they came out I thought, you know what, that that'll be brilliant. Like I'd love to have Milner back. Um another one is um Cook at Bournemouth. Um and I think he, he could be a good shout. He's he's not played that many minutes under Bournemouth this season. I was checking him out a little bit. I think he's he's played sort of maybe half the games, maybe a bit less. But he, he seemed great when he played for Leeds and I think he would fit right into the Bielsa system. I'd love to see him come back. Yeah, I think Lewis Cook would be one that most people would, would say. Um, I, I, he's been someone whose career has been blighted by injury, right? There was the high point of him winning the under-20s World Cup with England um, back in, when was that, 2018-ish? Mm, yeah. Um, and he's just never really been able to avoid injury since then. Um, questions about whether or not Bournemouth would be the best team for him to play in, but I, certainly when he was playing at Leeds, I mean, it was incredible. He was playing full seasons in, I guess it was League, was it League One or was it the champ- Championship? I can't even remember. It was Championship, yeah. Yeah, and he was playing at the age of 17 and was our best midfielder, if not one of the better players on the pitch. Um, so there'd be, there, I'd have no problem whatsoever um, thinking about bringing him back. With Milner, I guess, I don't know. I, Milner, to me, just seems a little bit more nostalgic. Maybe it would be great to have him back in the squad and and like have him, I don't know, on the bench coming off when we needed him to. Um, I don't know how old he is now, but he's. I guess he's getting towards the end of his career. Um I guess he's 28, 29, 30. Or is he even is older? Isn't is in his early to mid 30s. Oh, really? Okay, so he's, yeah, he's yeah. pretty old. So it would be a case of sort of bringing in an old uh, an old head um, and seeing what we could get out of him for maybe a couple of seasons. I'm sure he would be up for that. Up for that. Uh, but beyond that, yeah. Fabian Delph is someone who is mentioned. I was going to say he's the one out of all the, all the players from that era and, and the ones that we sold that I would prefer to see back at the club because I think I think he could really do some of the jobs in the midfield that we've been talking about in the last couple of weeks. Um, com- comfortable sitting in the Calvin position, comfortable playing as an eight and as a shuttle, and excellent decision-making. Um, a friend of mine and I went over to see... We'd, we'd committed a Cardinals sin and went to see City play in a League Cup game uh, last season, which he played in, and he was far and away the best player on the pitch. Um you know, just just really outstanding. So, um, yeah, he'd be the one for me. And if you've seen the um, the Man City documentary on Amazon, um, that Delph is fantastic in that. In all his dressing room chat, is so brilliant. He's he has no problem speaking his mind. And I'm not saying that we need someone like that in the Leeds dressing room because I think the team have a great dynamic already. But um, I do really like his character. I think there'd be a benefit certainly playing someone who has been in the Guardiola system for for so long as well. I think he would fit in no problem at all. I mean, he he's he's very much the Stuart Dallas of the uh, of the City team. I feel like he's quite flexible. They can play him as a wing back. They can play him in the midfield areas as well. Um, and he has that sort of flexibility that that I think Leeds would be able to use and Bielsa would probably appreciate. But um, beyond that, I can't I can't really think of many other ex Leeds players in the Premier League. But Darren, I'm sure you've got a list. Well, we could bring Chris Wood on to defend corners was one of the thoughts I had and and then send him off <laughs> Never again. Never again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I know. Uh, Charlie Taylor playing at left-back mm. um, at Burnley as well. Sam Byram, I suppose. Sam Byram as well, yeah. But t- to be honest, the only one that I would really like to see back would be, would be Delph and the rest would just be either nostalgic shouts or just because we can't think of anyone else because our kind of, you know, because Leeds fans focus on Leeds players and um, <laughs> but yeah I think it's the, the numbers yeah would be quite limited maybe uh, Bailey Peacock Farrell can come back as well <laughs> <laughs> oh dear maybe not now we're all depressed <laughs> but yeah if you if you have any other ex-Leeds players that you would think about uh, bringing in do you get in touch with us I guess uh, Maxi Grade always he is he in France a few people might take him back I don't know um, yeah. anyway let's move on Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. So you may have seen this week that Jamie Kemp over at LUFC blog released a medium piece uh, just looking at how Leeds United, the current Leeds United team, stack up against historic teams in the championship. I thought it was a, an excellent piece. Um, it was interesting to see just how much Leeds have underperformed on one hand and I think on the other hand just seeing how historically good they are I mean this is a generational team I think they're probably the best if you if you take into account maybe the Wolves team that got promoted they're probably the best team in the last five years um, in the championship Um, just a summary of the the article quickly um, Jamie looked both at the attacking and the and the defensive play and um, compared leads to every team that's gone up uh, in the last five years, including Fulham and uh, West Brom this season. Uh, and Leeds were, were comfortably up there. Um, in terms of XG, they were one of the best teams. I think one of, I think they were the best team in the last five years out of any team. Um, out of 144 teams, they this team uh, created the most XG, or at least the most p- con- controlled uh, XG. So looking at the way that um, you balance off your XG for and your XG against, most of the time Leeds are in the ascendancy and I think again there was only maybe uh, Wolves um, that got promoted who were, were challenging that and then there was the defensive numbers as well Leeds have incredible defensive numbers um, out of the teams that were promoted I think they were in the top four in all of all of them um, and in a lot of them they were they were first um, and then he went on to sort of look at why that might be the case obviously Patrick Bamford came up obviously Kiko Casilla came up um, but I just wanted to hear your thoughts, guys, actually, in terms of um, just how good this Leeds team are. And I think maybe an attendant question with this is, do you feel as though this 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 season's Leeds is better than last season's Leeds? Because I think there's a lot of people who actually feel as though last season's Leeds was maybe better. Um, so, Joe, let's let's go with this. How did, talk, talk to me about how you uh, read the piece and what you thought and anything that came up to you. And then how would you answer that question, which Leeds were, were better? Well, I love the I love the piece. I thought it highlighted um some some really interesting things for me. Um the first of which is that there's a tendency in English football to judge success purely on trophies and or points, you know, there's this team got higher points than Leeds have done in the championship, but I think was it Newcastle that got 100 plus points? Um, I think so, but I wouldn't. Yeah, I would say that Leeds are up there with the best promoted sides in the last uh, five years. But for some reason, because because it didn't happen last year and because it's not been confirmed yet this year, I don't. I don't think many people will see us that way. So it was interesting that it highlighted that for me. Um, with regards to last season's Leeds, it's. It's difficult to compare, really. Um, I think the f- the fact that we threw it away right at the end does kind of change it for me. I can't see that that last season's Leeds is better than this season's Leeds purely because uh, we were in such a good position with five, six, seven games to go, and then we threw it away. And I'm I think we're in a better position this year. I think we're seven points clear of third and at the same stage last season it was two or three um, clear of Sheffield United and I'm confident that we can go on and do it so I would I would actually say that I, I feel that this season's Leeds is better and that we're going to go and get promoted and win the championship. <laughs> I was really interested to see how we compared with that Wolves side of a couple of years ago because they were formidable and 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 I I remember saying at the time that I thought they were the best team I'd seen in the championship and yeah I was really pleased to see how how well we compared because um this this Bielsa team is one of 
my very favourite Leeds teams that I've ever watched, and um, I, you know I hold them in, I hold them in very high esteem, both last season's team and this season's. So I was really pleased to see that you know I think if I remember correctly we were at, we were better than them in terms of xG. They were slightly better in terms of big chances, um, but but that we are just as good as I think we are, which is which is a really nice thing to see. Mm. In terms of last season versus this season. I, I think we're I think we're much 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 better this season than we were last season. We we control games much more effectively when when we put the strangle on teams. By and large, you know they they get very very little very very little out of us, and we did that at times last season. But but there were also moments of complete chaos last season. If I, and and there were also real clear gaps where if if. Um, you know, there were there were times when if a striker got injured, we had nobody that could go in, and I think just that ability, that kind of consistency in terms of personnel this year has, has really helped. The, the players have learned the system; they know the system, and that that's meant that Bielsa has been able to experiment at various times in game and and react to things that have been happening to make sure that we get the result that we need. Yeah, I think what really struck me actually was just how these other pundits in the championship just sort of seemed to dismiss Bielsa because they were like, well, you know, obviously Leeds should be there and thereabouts. Um, and I think that, I think that's really, I think that's interesting. I think it's completely wrong. And I think it's, um, it's the, it's simply the function of just how good Bielsa is that he's got everyone thinking that this Leeds team should be in the top two. And yeah, so I thought I would, I thought it might be good to maybe just touch on that. Um, but I, yeah, in terms of this season and last season, I did a lot of watching back over last season for a few things. I mean, Josh and I did um, a couple of podcasts where we looked at like what was the what was the best iteration of this um, this lead side, which is the best game that that we've played under Bielsa, and um, it was just remarkable going back and looking at the the games from last season. Um, and I think part of the problem here for Leeds fans is that I think a lot of Leeds fans enjoyed last season more than they enjoyed this season. Um, partly because last season there was the whole sense that there was no expectation. No one expected us to necessarily go up, obviously, until the end when it fell away. Um, and I think that was just a roller coaster of emotion. Whereas I think this season there's been that expectation that Leeds should be winning everything, that they should be in the top two. And that just makes every game stressful. Um, and I think that's probably impacted the way that people look at it. But actually, it's something I would advise a lot of people to do. If you go back and watch a game from last season and then compare it with this season, just the, the just the level at which the Leeds players now understand the system compared to back then is, is remarkable. And something that um, I've been looking at recently, actually, for something for Mickey Peeker and um, Rob Mulholland, is just comparing what happened tactically last season with this season and I think we've seen a lot more tactical flexibility this season precisely because the system is is much more adhered to. So listener questions, very thankful for everyone getting in touch with us. Um, it's great having your, your questions and they've all been great I think this week so thank you for that uh, with the exception obviously of Jack Hardy's but we'll get onto that later on. Um, friend of the podcast Jack Hardy. Right, um, my favourite topic, Adam Forshaw. Um, Jim Duffy asks, any news on Forshaw, timescale to return or return at all? Uh, August. Yeah. <laughs> is, 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 when he's, is when he's due to be back. Um, the only thing that I, the only strong thought I've got about Forshaw this week is that I wish he wouldn't give interviews predicting <laughs> that we're going to romp the rest of the season. <laughs> that made me nervous, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I thought that was interesting though, because I think, you know, it's it's going to be interesting how the players deal with this psychologically, and I wonder whether or not there's been this big push to just be like, we don't need to be worried, just get on with it, we're going to do it, and, and just have that sort of confidence. But whether or not this is going over the top, I don't know. But yeah, I think August, is, as far as I can uh, re- recall, is, is the day. I, the, in that interview that he gave, gave, actually, he did mention that he could be back before the end, but I think that was simply based on this idea that um, he thought that the season might end after... July the 31st which I think is pretty clear isn't going to happen um, so I've got the quote here is he said potentially I could play before the end at the end of the day we don't know how long the games are going to take do we um, I've probably got a realistic return date of around the very start of August if everyone goes well with the games I probably won't play this season but from a selfish point of view if for any reason games might have to stop and start again I might nick a game or two at the end of the season so yeah I don't think we're going to see him until next season um, and it's interesting that he's suggesting that, that Bielsa is uh, going to make him work hard to come back in. So we can take it from that that Adam Farshaw wants us to go into the playoffs so he can get a bit of football under yeah. his belt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I think that's basically it. Back for the playoff final. 
<laughs> oh, could you imagine? Imagine if he came on and scored a rare goal to win promotion. Not that I could take the emotion of that, but... In that vein, we've got a question from Mark Thompson, also a friend of the podcast. In fact, a lot of these people are friends of the podcast, so I'm going to stop saying that. Mark asks, if all were fit and up to speed with what he wants, do you think Bielsa would prefer to play double eights with Click and Forshaw, or the three of Harrison, Pablo and Costa? Um, so back to the age-old question, what is the best midfield for us? Um, Joe, what do you think of the midfield situation? Well, we've spoken about this quite a bit, and I'm still I'm still not sure on exactly what what is the best midfield? I think that if, well, if and when Forshaw comes back, uh, or let's let's say he was back for these nine games, um, I I wouldn't see Bielsa changing it and putting him in. I think Bielsa is exactly the type of manager that would keep it exactly the same, match the lineups to the previous game, and Forshaw would have to work his way into the team just as Costa did, just as everyone has had to do um in terms of in theory if we were just to start fresh with all new players then it does pose a difficult a difficult question i I think that probably it would be a case of putting pablo on the right and putting foreshore and click in the middle um but like i say i don't think that will happen so long as costa has been in the team for the last you know six months and been playing really well yeah, I think I've said last couple of weeks what I, you know, kind of really broadly what I think about this is that the, the best the the way that we dominate games most effectively is when we've got Forshaw, Klitsch, and Phillips as as a kind of central three. Um, and whether that means that Pablo starts or on the right or Costa starts on the right, I don't really don't really mind. Well, I do obviously. I want Pablo in there, but but um, yeah, I I also suspect that that's Bielsa's preference otherwise I think he would have started the season with with a with a different system and with uh with Pablo in the middle yeah I agree with that I think it's interesting when we talk about the double eights and the and then a potential 10 and I think the only thing that really differentiates that is just personnel if you put if you put Pablo in into those two eight positions he's going to just look a little bit more tenny um same with Tyler Roberts um etc so I think yeah the system is the system and um, when the players come in, that system takes on a slightly different flavour. Um, and I agree with you. I think that the, the strongest midfield is going to be Phillips, Click and Forshaw. Um, and I think I think next season, this season, we're probably going to see Pablo and Costa rotated between themselves. I think that's the only solution that we're going to see to this one. But no doubt one of them will get injured anyway and then we'll end up playing Dallas somewhere. But <laughs> A question from Callum Archibald. Which player do you think has improved the most under Bielsa? Dallas is a candidate, but for me, Ailing has taken his game to another level this season. Um, we've all come up with different players, I think, for this. So, um, Joe, do you want to kick us off with your player? Yeah, um, I'll kick us off with Calvin Phillips. Um, when I saw this question, I was there were lots of players that come to mind. But looking back on the season before Bielsa came in, with Christiansen uh, Heckingbottom, um, Phillips was just—he was—he was a midfielder. He was just box to box, I guess you could say. He was sort of didn't really have an identity. And then the second that Bielsa came in, he's just morphed him into this the the championship's best defensive midfielder, and dare I say it, one of England's best defensive midfielders. There were people, you know, he's been rumoured for the England call-up and I think that that's just a phenomenal difference uh, from the season before Bielsa came in so he he would be my most improved for me. I remember walking down to Elland Road first game of Bielsa's reign versus Stoke and hearing that Liam Cooper was still in the team and saying to my mate here we fucking go again Um, and (laughs) what's what's happened since then you know there have been a couple of moments of calamity. Let's not let's not hide from that. But is that he has turned into somebody who um, is one of the the most reliable performers in Bielsa's system. He's I think he's improved beyond all recognition. Um, I think that Bielsa's system really plays to his strengths because it means that we're playing on the front foot instead of playing re- reactively like we used to do under other managers that he's played for. Um, so yeah, really really head and shoulders for me. It's Liam Cooper. Yeah, I think that's a great shout. Um, 
And the problem with this question, as I was saying before we went on air, is that like Bielsa's improved everyone, um, and I, <laughs> I guess that that's that's kind of the the issue. That's where the question gets its force from. But um, I think I would agree with both of those. Um, I would suggest I agree. Ailing is a great candidate for this. Dallas, I'm sort of like, well, I think Dallas was always quite a functional player, um, and I think there was there was one season. I don't know if it was the Monk season or maybe the season before where um, I think a lot of people wanted Dallas for player of the season. Um, so I think in that respect, he's, Dallas is just sort of, the system really suits Dallas. Um, yeah. But Ailing, Ailing has been incredible in terms of the way that he plays now and, and, and to the extent now that I would rather have Ailing as a right back than than I think anyone else in our in our squad. Um, and I would happily keep him there in the Premier League. Um but I thought maybe a shout for Harrison might be good as well because I think in terms of Harrison, what we've seen with Harrison is an improvement during his time under Bielsa as well. It's not just simply that Bielsa's arrived and Harrison has become good, but Bielsa took Harrison and, and has really moulded him into the player that he is now. So that would get my shout. Um, Tom Woodhead, also of this parish, asks about the most underrated performance of this season so far. Um, Darren, what do you what did you say to that? There are two really which which I kind of think about when uh, when I think about this question. The first one is the three three draw with Cardiff, where um, I think people have forgotten how good it was just because of the the kind of way that the last part of the second half went. We were outstanding that day, really amazing, played brilliant football, really blew Cardiff off the park. They barely got a kick for sixty minutes, um, but that last thirty minutes with a couple of defensive shenanigans going on kind of undermines the rest of what happened I think and the other one for me is is Bristol Bristol at home when we, we beat them 1-0 but it could have been any number just choose a number out of a hat and it could it could have been that number we um, absolutely battered them and they barely got anything for the, for the whole 90 minutes apart from one half chance it not even that for Naki Wells I think if I recall correctly so they're the two that kind of stand out in this one for me I'd agree with Darren actually I think that they're I think both of those games because the results aren't 4-0 like against Hull and Middlesbrough and I think both of those are underrated and Cardiff was some of the best 60 minutes of football I've ever watched. It was just unbelievable. I just couldn't couldn't believe it. Couldn't believe what I was watching. And um, yeah, I watched the highlights back of the Bristol, of the Bristol game and I, I'd forgotten how many huge, huge chances that game that game had it was just ridiculous there which should have been four five six nil the keeper made an amazing save to stop Costa um Bamford missed a couple of really big chances including a virtually an open net um and I'll just give an honorable mention to the most underrated piece of skill which was in the Bristol game which was Bamford on a one-on-one with a defender and then did a little shimmy and just fell over (laughs) <laughs> um, and, uh, and got up and still managed to retain the ball. I thought that was yeah. a phenomenal piece of skill there. Yeah, I think maybe a shout for the Derby game as well, where we drew one all despite absolutely yeah. battering them. Uh, but basically, this this question is going to f- focus around games where we probably deserve to win and then and then didn't, or didn't deserve to lose and then did. Um, the Swansea game as well, I think, was probably up there as well. Can I just say that I think the Birmingham away match is the most overrated performance of the season by an absolute mile. <laughs> <laughs> it was just a mess, wasn't it? Yeah, it, it was, was chaos. absolutely awful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, a lot of people always ask us to do like um, tactical reviews of that game, and I just kind of think, oh, there's just nothing to say. It's just, it's just throw every, throw everything that you thought you knew into a bag and then throw it in the bin, um, yep. type of game. So yeah, maybe we should go through that one one day and and uh, when when we when we're able to emotionally return to it, have a look over it again. But right, finally a couple of uh, a couple of silly questions. Brolin ate the pie. Asks is it in the bag? We've been told by Dan Holdsworth not to answer this question, so uh, I leave this up to your discretion. But is it is it in the bag, Darren? No, nothing's in the bag yet. Nothing's in the bag until it's mathematically uh, done and dusted. I'm a Leeds fan. I've learned that over the years. <laughs> Joe, you are suggesting that you might be a little bit more positive on this one, but I'm sure you're going to chicken out now. Yeah, um, I will chicken out. I, I do like <laughs> to be positive, but having uh, having had to live through the horrific banter of throwing it away last season and all my friends sort of 
ridiculing me, I'm going to I'm going to stay realistic and say it's not in the bag. <laughs> and then finally a philosophical question from our friend Jack Hardy. Uh, and I think this is one we should just end the the show on um, without really giving an answer and leave it for the, the listeners to ponder. But he asks if an ailing flops in an empty stadium and no one is around to cheer him, does he even make a sound? Uh, and so with that, we reach the end of, of the podcast. It's um, great fun to discuss these topics with you. At this point, I will let you guys tell me where it is that people can follow you. So Joe, you're at JoeHill96, is that right? That's right. On Twitter? Yeah. That's right. And Darren is sweet and simple at Darren Driver. We'll be back next week and we will have something to talk about because we will be uh, gearing up for the Cardiff game at the weekend. So hopefully I'll be able to get some clip with a Cardiff supporter who can talk to us about the way that they play and uh, what what the situation is like for them and it's starting to feel as though we are almost a football podcast again so thank you both and I will see you next week thanks guys cheers What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.